you need to be able to show what you did with the last money. What did you actually achieve? Tangible results, right? Otherwise, it's very hard to convince other investors to invest uh, more money into your company. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Lucas, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks a lot for having me. You are the head of the UBS Growth Advisory, a partner that supports fast-growing Swiss companies in their fundraising process. And today we're going to, of course, talk about the fundraising and everything behind the scenes, basically. Before we talk about the processes, the do's and don'ts, I want to talk about the current market development. It seems that there has been developing a sort of a fundraising momentum in Switzerland. Can you talk a bit more about the recent developments there? Yes, of course. Um, thanks for the question. It's true that fundraising or the venture capital investments in Switzerland um, grew a lot over the last years. Um, uh, last year, over two billion were invested in Swiss startups and scale-ups. So that's a big growth um, compared to, let's say, five years ago. And even COVID-19 uh, didn't really um, uh, do much to reduce that. So um, the the sector as a whole actually got through the crisis quite well. And that's surprising, right? Because you think that from the investment perspective, startup risk investments is probably the first thing that you would cut as an investor. That's true. We also were surprised that the um, reduction in investments was only small uh, in 2020. But uh, we saw less transactions um, going to the market. So um, we think the companies that actually could hold on and could extend their runway themselves we're holding back and we see now in 2021 a lot more companies on the market again due to that great and you know these two billions they also have to come from somewhere someone has to invest that money so who are the, the investors behind those two billion uh, that have been investing with startups last year it depends on the stage of the financing round, right? So um, in the larger rounds, the ones you read about in the media, usually large VC funds invest. Also large VC funds from abroad, not just Swiss players. In the mid-range, um, it's a mix of Swiss VCs and usually private investors. And here, um, especially on the private investor side, Switzerland has a certain speciality, actually. Um, in Switzerland, uh, almost 60% of the rounds private investors are investing, which is above average um, compared to any other market in the world. That's definitely a lot. So we are sort of world champions when it comes to private risk investments. You could say so, exactly, yeah. So let's also talk about the fundraising per se. I mean, you know, from the picture that you just drew is like, there is a new record, two billion, a lot of uh, investment happening in startups, but I'm sure there are still challenges that you see in the fundraising process. You talk to many companies day in, day out. so. What are some of the challenges that still exist today when it comes to fundraising? I think for companies that never did fundraising with professional investors, so professional investors, I'm referring to VC funds or to professional private investors, so outside the family, friends, fools, as you say, right? For those companies, of course, um, there are challenges out there, right? Um, because first of all, you need to be ready. You need to be ready to talk to that type of investors. You need to be ready when it comes to um, 
the company stage, so the milestones, the achievements you can present. Mm -hmm. But you also need to be ready in terms of documentation. You need to have pitching experience to really, you know, um, be able to um, pull off such a fundraising process. Makes sense. On the other hand side, um, access to investors sometimes is also limited. There are, of course, investors out there that you contact freely, but a lot of investors, especially on the private side, they're not that easy to get to for a startup. So you need to get access to those investors. So that's also sometimes a bit of an impediment. Um, also, again, depending on the stage, right? Seed stage, we think there's quite a lot of uh, opportunities in Switzerland to get to money, smaller amounts of money. Right. But when you grow and you need larger amounts uh, in a fundraising round in the growth stage, it can get challenging. So, And this is exactly where we also position ourselves. Yeah, people in the ecosystem, they also often call that the valley of death, where you have the first financing that you can get pretty easily from business angels or other private investors. But then to really scale things up and, uh, you know, raise multiple millions, that's super tricky still in Switzerland. That's true. Switzerland still lags behind some markets like Israel, um, Scandinavian markets, or of course, also UK and US in terms of that. Yeah. So you also mentioned the different points, like the readiness to, to actually get funded, also the access to investors. I'd like to go into a bit more detail there if possible. So readiness, what does that actually mean? When is a good time? When are you actually ready as a company to, to go ahead and, and start your fundraising process? What do you need to, to get in order before doing so? In terms of readiness, again, like the, the stage is, is key. You need to be able to show what you did with the last money. What did you actually achieve? Tangible results, right? Otherwise, it's very hard to convince other investors to invest uh, more money into your company. So it needs right. to be clear, you know, um, uh, what you already achieved and where you're exactly standing in the development. And then the preparedness in terms of documentation, that can mean a lot. I mean, for professional investors, you need a data room in place. You need to have a professional pitch deck in place. You need to have pitching experience. You know, you really need to know your story um, when talking to those type of investors. So that is a part experience, but also um, uh, you can refer to advisors like UBS to help you with. Makes sense. I think that the most important point that you just mentioned there is usually you do raise funds, right, as a company to then achieve a certain milestone. That's all part of the story that you come up with. And if you then hit that, then you're basically ready for the next round. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And access to investor is another big topic. So, I mean, there are, of course, public VCs that you can just Google and then see who's the partner there. But how do you actually get access to the right investors and also identify the right investors for your company? That's not that easy. I think with VCs, usually they are pretty specific online, you know, what they're looking for, what type of sectors they invest in, what type of stage they're investing in. But with all other investors, if you don't really know them, it's very hard to figure out if they're actually the right ones for you. So this is a, a, where a UBS or a broker in general can help a lot, you know, because we know our investors, uh, we know our clients. And so we can um, approach the right ones or uh, presumably the right ones uh, to have a higher chance of success. In, in that regard, all the people often talk about smart money. In, in what way can you also identify before actually working together with a potential investor, whether they can add to your company besides just the monetary aspect? With VCs, I think it's easier to figure that out, right? Because they have existing investments, they have certain sector experiences due to that, have a network in a certain sector. With private investors, 
usually it's the background of the people, right? They have a professional background and they're usually entrepreneurs or were entrepreneurs. They're coming out of entrepreneurial families. Mm -hmm. So they have the same type of experiences and network and know-how. But of course, it's not exactly the same as in a VC fund, right? We're talking about private individuals um, that have their own experiences, entrepreneurs, and usually have maybe sold their company already or um, even are serial investors in, in a certain field. So you can learn a lot of from those people as well. Got it. And are there also any events or matchmaking services where you can actually meet investors and see if there's a good fit? Is there any particular offering or event that you could recommend? In Switzerland, there's actually quite a lot of such events, not maybe over the past 18 months, right? Um, A lot of those events um, became hybrid or completely virtual, which not always is the easiest, you know, when you pitch and when you want to get to know people, Mm -hmm. because it's um, also um, uh, about the personal connection you can build up. It's harder online. Um, But there's many um, pitching events in Switzerland you can find those on the on the relevant uh, um, platforms, you know, um, that you can check yourself. I mean, I wouldn't be able to recommend a specific one. I think it depends where in what sector you're working. You know, there's specific events for fintechs. There's specific events for uh, other type of um, like healthcare companies, medtech companies, etc. In the biotech field, you have specific events. So I think, you know, as a startup, you need to figure out yourself a bit, you know, what is the appropriate platform and the appropriate event for myself. Right. So let's say you have your story aligned, you reach the milestone, you also have your pitch deck ready, you identify the potential investors that you want to go after. There's still one important part that you also need to do some thinking about, and that's the whole transaction know-how. Can you talk a bit more about these details? Because I can imagine they are often overlooked because you focus on your pitch deck, on the right investors, but the whole transaction structure and also know-how behind that is also crucial for a successful fundraising process. That's right. It has a lot to do with experience. So if you've never done a structure process yourself as a founder or as a startup, it's very hard to to do that yourself, right? This is again where a, an advisor can step in and help you, take you by the hand. Next to the preparation, it's very crucial to have a strict process in uh, in place, right? You need to be able to communicate clearly to investors what the process looks like, what the timing looks like, when you would expect uh, first feedbacks, first commitments, when a signing and a closing is happening. Those uh, signing and closing documents need to be ready at the right time. You know, you need to be able to coordinate with the lawyer to do that. So there's a lot of aspects coming in if you've never have done it. Um, it might overwhelm you a bit. And it's a very time-consuming business. Fundraising is not something you can just do on the side mm-hmm. as a founder. And this is another reason why help is actually um, uh, a good thing to get help. Because um, at the end of the day, you don't want to spend all your time on fundraising as a CEO of a young company. You probably have other operational tasks. Yeah. So if you work together with an advisor, you can uh, outsource um, uh, your personnel resources and time, right? Absolutely. We're going to talk about the support uh, in a second. I just want to focus on that process real quick. Maybe we can give people listening to this sort of a mental checklist, you know, about the things that they need to complete or 
the process structure that they could think of as a potential blueprint. So if we think about the beginning, you first have to come up with your fundraising story, right? You, you have to prepare your pitch deck, you have to prepare a good story. So that's basically the homework that you have to do first. Is there anything that you should do before that? Or is that really the first starting point from your experience? I think in order not to lose too much time, it's also good to think about what other documents interested investors are potentially interested in. And for that, you don't even need to be an expert. Um, as a founder, you probably know what are the relevant information an investor needs. Yeah. Um, also with startups, of course, there's not the same amount of information available um, as for a mature company. That is clear. No one expects that, right? But to have a little bit of housekeeping to have those things ready up to date because if you don't have that you're losing a lot of time before you approach investors to get everything up to date to get everything ready in a structure uh, that also an external party can look at so that means like make sure that you have your financial accounts your your bookkeeping and everything of that sort in order your customer contract saved and signed uh, so keep your house clean basically that's the basic exactly. ground rule yeah Mm -hmm. So, okay, then you, you did that. You have your house in order. You have the pitch deck ready, the documents prepared. Then uh, what often happens is that people then say, okay, I'm ready. Now I just want to go out and contact investors. But I guess there is a step in between. You first have to do your research and probably create, as in sales, a, a long and then a short list to prioritize the investors because you just don't want to reach out to them all at the same time. You also want to sort of develop a momentum to also have a good timing in place. So how do you then go about that? You first identify them, create a long and then a short list, or what would you recommend there? This is how we would do it if a company would uh, mandate us to do a fundraising. That's right. If you do it yourself as a founder, you should really do your research. That's right. I mean, it can get very frustrating when you uh, reach out to the wrong investors because you get refused um, permanently. So right. that also is not a, a, a good start, right? So you, you need to know, of course, who invests in your sector. Um, I think that's something you should do anyways as a startup. No matter if you're currently fundraising or not, you need to know who are the players and you need to walk around with open eyes and um, read, you know, and see who is investing in your competitors, who's active here in Switzerland. There's many public resources to, to figure that out, right? To come up with a sensible shortlist so you're not contacting the wrong ones. In that regard, I also wonder, you know, there are many investors in Switzerland, obviously. You probably also run a Swiss-based company if you're listening to this. But would you also recommend to contact and to shortlist uh, investors from abroad? Does that make sense? It can make sense, especially when you're in a very specific niche, right? The more specific your niche is, the less a generalized investor would probably look at you and the more broader or the broader you need to look um, for investors, especially also abroad. I'm talking about deep tech companies, you know, maybe right. in the AI space, etc. Um, so that can be sensible in general, though, when you're early stage and if the round is smaller, it always is a bit harder to attract investors from abroad to invest in Switzerland. Usually they do that if the amounts get a bit larger mm -hmm. and because there's also certain um, uh, expenses um, related to, to a due diligence, etc. And if you don't have a full focus on Switzerland, you might be a bit hesitant to do that for a small round. Yeah, that makes sense. So now let's say, okay, we have our short list together. 
now it's time to outreach to the investors. How do you specifically do that? Do you send them a cold email? Do you try to get a warm introduction? Do you just drop them a message on LinkedIn? How do you actually reach out to potential investors? That can be you with like the services that you offer, but also if you do it yourself, I think uh, it's a similar approach there. The best you can do is to already have a contact to potential investors before. So Good you point. can actually, you know, follow up and yeah. they already know you. So that's that's the best case, right? And that's something that should be an ongoing task for a founder. Again, even if you're not currently fundraising, you should be you should connect to the to the investors uh, nonetheless. Then of course, second option or second best option would to contact to get a warm introduction, for example, from someone, right? Or third best to just basically cold emailing or cold calling the relevant investors. Yeah. Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Nuco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit newco.ch slash Swisspreneur. Again, that's newco.ch slash Swisspreneur. And now, on with the show. So I guess also the higher the priority that you just mentioned, the higher the success rate I could imagine. Definitely. I mean, a warm introduction or an existing contact, I would say there's a clear correlation to um, with regards to success versus like a, a cold approach. Yeah. And I really like what you said, you know, really take care of these relationships, build them up early, like take care of them, give updates and just always stay in touch. I think that's so crucial and often also very overlooked because then entrepreneurs say, I'm not fundraising right now, so I don't need to take or think about investors. But then when you actually do want to fundraise, that can pay off big time and speed up the process significantly. Big time. I agree. Big time. Yeah. So then you, you get in touch with them. What is like the call to action there? Do you want to invite them to sort of a public or a group pitching event? Or do you want to send them your pitch deck? Or what is the best outcome after the initial contact when you actually approach them with your fundraising needs? So we would go out with a one page or a teaser document or a teaser email that quickly summarizes, you know, the investment case. So it makes sense to give the investor certain information upfront. And then, you know, in case of a positive reaction, send them a pitch deck. Yeah. I think every investor first wants to look at a pitch deck before they engage in a discussion or attend a, an event, a pitching event, because they want to they wanna understand a bit better what it is all about, right? And if they're really interested or not. A pitching event can be a good platform. One-on-one -on -one discussions are usually more fruitful because you can actually, you know, tailor the discussion to the specific investor. Um, you can more easily build a trustful relationship, which is key um, if you want to get an investor on board. So I think, you know, there's pros and cons for, uh, uh, for both sides. Got it. You also mentioned the teaser at the beginning. What sort of information do you share there? Do you share the latest milestone that you hit or already some revenue numbers or anything of that sort? Or what, what belongs to that teaser that you send out first? Basically, everything you feel comfortable to share with in an almost public way, right? Let's yeah. put it that way. Um, depends on the company how much they want to share. But if you're not specific enough, it's very hard to attract interest, right? Right. Um, we um, recommend to be clear about the milestones. If there's revenues, which is a good thing, why not mentioning it, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, 
any type of like partnerships you have, you know, with well-known partners, any type of like investors you got on board that are well-known, any type of external validation that you can add to your case helps in, in a first marketing approach. So it's really all about building that initial interest, but also trust to show that you know what you're doing and you're on the right path to, to growing a successful company. Exactly. So then you sent out the pitch deck, they showed the initial interest, the investors, what happens afterwards? You do the one-on-one -on -one sessions or what happens then? That's right. We will do the one-on-one -on -one sessions um, directly with the investors. Nowadays, this happens over a video call, usually at least the first um, interaction. Um, some investors prefer personal meetings because mm -hmm. they know it is about the personal relationship at the end that counts. And right. if they cannot build a relationship with the founders or the management of a company, they won't invest, even if the case looks good. Yeah. Um, so I think there's different steps. There's always more than one discussion with the investor before, before they invest. And you need to be able to build this relationship over certain steps and ultimately end up um, at an investment. Yeah. And then the really tricky part happens, right? After you had these one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions or also some follow-ups, you do need to sort of juggle and balance the interested investors to then reach a closing at a certain point in time. So this period in between, how do you manage that, that you can close at the right time, but also have sort of a momentum to not lose too many investors along the process? That goes hand in hand with some type of process know-how or process management, right? I mean, you have several parties um, that you need to get aligned right. um, also on a, on a timeline. And that can be quite tricky. Um, needs a lot of coordination uh, to be able to do that. Honestly, it almost never works um, out that you have the commitments from every investor at the same day, right? Um, True. But you can, of course, manage uh, uh, manage that you end up, you know, um, uh, with the commitments maybe in the in the same weeks or the same month. So you can clearly communicate to anyone else when you're basically going to make the decision and when you're basically yeah. going to start the the formal process of investment. So that's also something that you really communicate proactively. You say hey, this is our timeline, that's our uh, sort of suggested closing date. Uh, and you really also set the expectations that way. Exactly. And you should also say that there's other investors in the round because that's nothing negative. Um, sure. Usually investors feel more comfortable if there's others, you know, that take the risk as well. Yeah. Um, and even you could connect them, you know, if it's, if it's needed, you know. I mean, that's sure. also sometimes um, a, a good way of um, building a, a group of investors um, that have uh, that have a trustful relationship among, uh, among each other. So that's also a way towards the end of a fundraising process to connect the really interested investors among each other and maybe even have a discussion in a, in a broader group. And, and here I also notice a sort of... A mentality difference between, for example, Swiss investors and American investors, for example, it seems to me, I haven't personal experienced that, but from entrepreneurs telling me that, that American uh, investors, they basically, oh, I like the case and sign the check pretty fast. So once they're convinced, they send, send you money and want to be in there as fast as possible because there's so many opportunities around. Here in Switzerland, it's more often the opposite that they always ask, Who's the first one? Have you already any commitments? And then they basically tend to wait a bit longer to be more on the safe side and not be the first mover. How do you experience that? I think 
In general, you're probably right. I mean, there's clear cultural differences between the US and Switzerland. We all know that. Um, it's not a bad thing sure. per se. Swiss people are a bit, you know, um, maybe more diligent and uh, therefore also a bit slower maybe in decision making. Um, but that's, I think, it's it's actually a good trait. So um, uh, I wouldn't compare US, Switzerland uh, one to one on that. Fair point. Clearly yeah. for a startup, it's easier if um, investors just invest without asking questions. <laughs> but um, I think in the long run, it's probably better for the for the startup as well or for the young company to have diligent investors and have diligent and deep discussions before an investment happens. In, in that regard, would you actually recommend to already have one or two commitments before you then open up to the, you know, to the other investors? Would that help you along the fundraising process if you already have some funds committed that you can also show off to the other investors, the potential investors? Well, that brings us to the term lead investor. So a lead investor, of course, is always a good thing because um, the lead investor takes over the due diligence work, um, including the valuation, etc., um, and then any type of co-investors, of course, have a, a much better basis for, for, for decision-making. That's always a good thing. Sometimes there's a bit of a chicken and egg here too, right? right. I mean, uh, once you have the lead investor, it can go very fast, but it's very hard to get it. Right. So ideally you have one. It will help a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, that's not something you can necessarily influence yourself too much, right? Um, if you have one, it's a good thing and um, yeah, chances for success are higher. Yeah, Makes sense. And then basically the last step is the closing, I assume. So you have the commitments coming in and then it's probably much more about the, the legal paperwork that you have to, to get done or is there anything specific that you should pay special attention to in that last step of the process? I think it's mainly, you know, that you have the contracts ready, you know, uh, depending on this on this instrument. Is it equity? Is it convertible, for example? And that's something you should definitely have ready, not not to lose time at the end and have uh, investors waiting, right? Um, I think that's the that's the main the main part there to do this in a professional and and quick fashion to basically execute the transaction. Then at the end, mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, there's a, of course certain aspects. If you need to go through a capital raise, you know, there's certain uh, time timing issues you need to consider, you know, um, uh, which are uh, legal requirements, you know, and yeah, you need to be, of course, um, be fit on those topics too, and uh, make sure that it, you know, works all out at the end, you know, on the timeline. Yeah. In that regard, you also mentioned equity rounds versus a convertible uh, loan, basically. Do you see any trends that one is becoming more popular or how does your stru- structure look like in the investments that you support? We support in both structures. So I think it's more a preference on the investor side. Some investors are okay with convertibles. Mm-hmm. They don't mind. Let's put it that way. But there's also investors that want to know the price. They want to sure. know how many shares they get. Yeah. So and. This is, of course, when the convertible uh, is not very helpful. Convertible is good because it's quicker. You don't need to go to a ca- through a capital raise. It's an easier document. Um, so if you need to raise funds in a bridge round in a quick fashion, it's a good tool. Mm-hmm. Usually a good tool with existing investors because they already know you. It's a bit more difficult if you want to bring in new investors with a convertible. Yeah, makes sense. 
Now, so thank you for sharing all the, the process details here. So we see it's, it's a very complex process. It's also a lot of work and time involved there. So you mentioned already several times that you can either, you know, do that on your own and really dedicate a really big amount of time to do it yourself, or you can get help from a potential broker. So first of all, who are the different players out here who could support you on this process? There's many different players out there. And I think it, again, depends a bit on the stage of your company. So in seed rounds, in early stage rounds, you know, where the amounts are smaller, where also different type of investors invest, usually like smaller private investors, business angel, etc. Um, platforms and crowdfunding platforms can be a good tool, right? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, they're also brokering over a platform. Right. True. Um, when you get to a stage where you need bigger amounts of money, let, let's say more than two, three million. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Crowdfunding is a bit limited usually, yeah, right? right. Um, then you need investors that also have a bit more firepower um, uh, that come in and can potentially even participate in follow-on rounds later on. Mm -hmm. um, so more like long-term investors that have the capacity to do so. And there it gets harder and harder with the access, right? Of course, certain startups have a brilliant private network already or through their existing investors. But if you don't have that, um, it's good to, to get help, you know, to get access to those right. investors. And this is where a broker or a fundraiser like UBS can help a lot. Got it. And, you know, with everything, there are also advantages, obviously, but also disadvantages when you actually work with a broker. So can you quickly share your thoughts about the pros and cons of working with a broker for your fundraising process? Sure. I think it's basically a summary of what we discussed so far, right? It frees up resources on the startup side or the entrepreneur side. You get transaction expertise and know-how that you might not have yourself. You get access to investors. You might not have access yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and then a good reputation of a, of a broker can actually also help elevating your own reputation in the market because it sort of like serves a bit as a validation of the case as well, also for investors. Right. Got it. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah, as you said, there's potential disadvantages, if you want to uh, call it disadvantages. Um, a broker or a fundraiser um, will charge a fee. And um, so there's cost associated with it. Um, usually a broker also wants a certain type of exclusivity because they don't want to compete in the market against each other. Right. And ultimately, there's also certain limitations to a broker because the decision for the investment stays with the investor, no matter how good the broker is. Yeah. So um, the broker cannot make that investment decision for the investor usually, right? So this is maybe a certain limitation there. Yeah. So it's access to the right investors and then you as an entrepreneur need to convince the investors yourself, right? Exactly. So they ultimately invest. So it's a it's a supporter, but not uh, you know the solution to your fundraising problem, basically. It can be a solution. Uh, we would call ourselves an enabler, right? But ultimately, it is between the company and the investor to build this relationship and to end up at the at an investment. Yeah. Got it. So you have plenty of experience in, in the fundraising uh, process and also with your uh, growth advisory services that you offer to startups. Can you quickly describe a bit more about your offering? I think not all the people know how you exactly and specifically support startups with fundraising. Mm -hmm. So we started this 
already over five years ago. We started out small. We also had to try a bit to see, okay, what works, you know, what type of companies we get um, positive traction with. So about five years ago, we started. So far, we raised approximately 140 million Swiss francs in equity or equity-like, let's say, convertibles mm -hmm. uh, in the market. And among our clients in the past are many of the most successful Swiss growth companies. So we're very proud of that and um, of our uh, uh, track record. So how does it work? Um, we're working on a mandated basis and then we exactly do what we discussed um, uh, before. You know, we help in the preparation of the transaction. We then, you know, um, take over the, the whole process with the investors. We contact them. We we coordinate them. We, we, sh uh, we make sure that the information exchange works well. We make sure that the company is prepared. We make sure that the investors get what they need in terms of information. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately bring the parties together and uh, manage the whole process um, up to closing. And there you also have a sort of a, a USP that not many uh, services can offer because you're basically also a bank with a large network and client base. So why should actually startups work with you, with UBS? It's, it's what you say. I mean, as the largest Swiss bank and the largest wealth manager, we have a very deep network of uh, potential investors that you usually don't have as a startup. Yeah. So this is clearly a USP, um, but it's not just the size of the network. It's also the know-how about the network, because we talked a lot today about the right investors and to know what investor looks for what. And that's not such an easy task. And then it's the expertise and the track record that also plays in, you know, if you or a fundraiser that has a good track record, that can present a good track record. You're also more attractive uh, for investors, you know, mm -hmm. because they know, okay, you're a professional party. You, 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 know, you know what you're doing. You, you are successful in, in closing such transactions and you bring a high quality deal flow to the investors. That these are things how we can differentiate ourselves uh, on the investor side. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in that regard, you know, of course, startup founders also ask themselves, okay, if I choose to, to work with a service like yours, what are the costs associated to that? So how does your business model work, basically? Our business model works as follows. We have a success fee. And the success fee, we can only charge if we're actually successful. That's what a success fee is. And this is a one-time fee, and it's based on the funds we raise with the investors. The attractive part about it is that the company doesn't pay unless they actually get something out of the service. So um, in that sense, uh, we think we have a fair offering here. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about skin in the game and, uh, you know, synced uh, interest, basically. Exactly. Can you share how high that success fee is or does that depend on, on the case? It depends on the case and especially it depends on the size. Okay. Because um, if you're talking about percentages, the larger the size is, the lower the percentages. Um, uh, so that's how it works. But there's not like, you know, a fixed fee um, uh, that we would charge. You know, it's, a, it's on a case-by-case -case basis. Of course, they're always in a similar range. But um, again, it mainly depends on the size of the transaction. Got it. And, you know, on average, how long does a fundraising process with you take time-wise? This also differs wildly. Um, in our experience... Three to six months, I would say, you have to at least um, calculate in. Mm -hmm. If you have less time, uh, you might get under a lot of pressure. Um, it can easily take longer than that in some instances. 
Um, but three months, I think, was the fastest we experienced so far. Yeah, that's yeah. very fast for fundraising, yeah. especially with the amounts that you're dealing with there. And you also have a very impressive track record. Can you share some startups that actually used your service and that you successfully helped getting funds raised? Yes, we can. Uh, you can also find them on our website, actually, or some of them. Um, companies that most of you know are on shoes, for example. View Eyewear is another example. Farmy.ch, Insfero or Qt is on the healthcare side. So, you know, just to name a few. I mean, of course, there's others, um, but we're very proud of uh, this very good portfolio, let's say, uh, of, of uh, former clients. And of course, people also wonder, okay, now I close the, the funds with you. Um, what support do you also get beyond the pure fundraising process? Because, of course, people always say after the fundraising process, if it's before the fundraising. So what, what support do you also offer after and beyond the pure fundraising? I mean, if we have a successful relationship with the company, we're, of course, also interested to fundraise again, right? Yeah. So that's that's one thing. <laughs> um, usually that is then mutual, right? Um, if you are successful on a project together, um, you tend to work together again. Um, other than that, I mean, on UBS side, there's plenty of other banking services that um, UBS can offer to startups on the corporate banking side, um, like any other bank, but in specifically when a company is then expanding abroad, UBS has a great offering um, to support this expansion. We have corporate desks in the EU, in the US, in Asia, that actually cater to our Swiss clients and to their um, subsidiaries abroad. We have plenty of products in ethics, in hedging, international payment services. We have, of course, financing services on the credit side, leasing, export finance, we can support in strategic transactions, namely M&A. And then last but not least, UBS is not just a corporate bank. We're also a wealth manager. We have dedicated teams that cater to founders, entrepreneurs, and executives of companies and to yeah. their specific needs. So UBS has plenty of options to support the entrepreneurs and the company going forward. So it's basically the whole life cycle. Whatever you need, you're there to support. That's it, exactly. Yeah. Great. So, of course, people who might be interested to learn more about your offering or also get in touch, where can they actually find you? Where What's the best place to, to contact you? Of course, you can reach out directly to, our, um, to my team, to myself, or you go via UBS Client Advisor. And then we also have a homepage, ubs.com slash growth advisory. You'll find information on there and you can also get in touch uh, over the website with us. Fantastic. So I think that was a really cool deep dive into the fundraising uh, world of Switzerland. Is there any last tip or any last comment that you would like to share with startups looking to raise funds out there? I think, think about how you want to do it. Want to do it yourself? Do you want um, to have support? Um, and then, of course, choose your partner wisely. I mean, choose the right partner and the right advisor to support you. And um, yeah, do your own due diligence, you know, uh, of uh, whom you want to work with. Um, and that's a good ingredient then for a successful transaction. Absolutely. Lucas, thank you so much for stopping by. And we wish you all the best and lots of many more successful fundraising rounds. Thank you very much, Simon. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.